expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. Hello and welcome to another podcast edition of Taiwan Talk. I'm Keith Menconi. Taiwan is carrying out a quiet lobbying effort for the purchase of advanced fighter jets from the U.S., but when those requests made headlines recently, even senior Taiwan defense officials acknowledged many of the purchases are unlikely to happen anytime soon. And it's not just jets. Many key arms deals between the U.S. and Taiwan have for years failed to make any progress. And now many warn that the military balance across the Taiwan Strait is tipping in China's favor. To help us parse through exactly what it is Taiwan's military is hoping to purchase and how these sales could affect cross-strait relations, I spoke with Randall Shriver. He's the president and chief executive officer of the Project 2049 Institute, a Washington, D.C.-based think tank focusing on Asian security issues. He also served as a deputy assistant secretary of state during the Bush administration. Here's our conversation. Randall Shriver, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So just to kind of start things off, I was hoping that you could give us sort of the, the big picture view, uh, what's going on in terms of uh, these deals between the U.S. and Taiwan, and uh, what's kind of gumming up the works, slowing it down in a lot of cases. Well, in brief, China is still continuing with a very aggressive buildup opposite Taiwan, creating in, in the minds of, I think, many supporters of U.S.-Taiwan relations uh, a need for the United States to step up its security assistance. However, uh, it has been uh, quite some time since the U.S. government has approved an arms sales package that would require what's called a congressional notification. In fact, it's the longest stretch of time since the Taiwan Relations Act was passed in 1979 uh, between congressional notifications, and that time, of course, is is still ticking forward because we we don't have one in the uh, works right now. Um, There are several systems that I think Taiwan could use, and could help meet this challenge that China poses, uh, but for a variety of reasons, they seem to be held up, and I, th- I think most of those reasons are on the U.S. side that, that simply doesn't want the inconvenience of a problem with China that may result uh, from another arms sales announcement. Would you say that it's largely pressure from China? Is that kind of what you're talking about that's uh, making the U.S. reluctant to move forward with uh, some of these deals? Well, it's pressure from China and a perception on the part of U.S. government officials that the security environment is improving uh, because the political environment between the two sides has improved and that the arms sales, if they were to go forward or be announced, would cause disruption in, in what is already a troubled U.S.-China relationship. I say perception because I think the um, uh, case is very overstated. And I think the historic record is is um, proof that the United States can have a robust security relationship with Taiwan to include arms sales, as well as a good relationship, constructive relationship with China, and we're ignoring that historical record. I've actually heard rumors that the Obama administration has uh, sort of ruled out any possibility of making arms deals before the end of the second term. Uh, have have you any heard anything along those lines? Well, I can't speak to any um, decision along those lines. That would be in violation of the TRA as far as I'm concerned because the, the Taiwan Relations Act is very clear that the arms decisions will be made solely based on a, an assessment of the uh, cross-strait military balance and Taiwan's military needs. So if a decision has been made 
based on political considerations or based on um, the U.S.-China relationship, that would be out, outside and inconsistent with our with our law. Um, but it, it is clear that things have bogged down, and again, we have this uh, historically long period of time that has passed uh, between arms sales announcements. So there is something going on inside the Obama administration, to be sure. Now, what about the Taiwan side of all this? I mean, we often hear about the Taiwan administration kind of flip-flopping on some of these deals, not being sure which uh, packages it wants, not budgeting all all the money that it would need. Uh, Do you think that that's a significant uh, factor in slowing this all down at this point? No. Certainly Taiwan has uh, resource constraints, and certainly uh, if some of these systems were to be approved, uh, it would be challenging to come up with the budget. Um, but in the past, Taiwan has always come through uh, in the aftermath of an approval from the United States government. And after all, why would any democratically elected legislature approve money for programs that haven't been approved and and are very uncertain? Um, this has already occurred in the case of the F-16 CDs, where the LY did pass a budget for those systems, and that money basically sat there and had to be returned to the Uh, Taiwan Treasury, Ministry of Finance, because uh, the U.S. ultimately did not approve those systems. Uh, What about the issue of of espionage? A lot of people point to the concern that uh, if uh, the U.S. sells advanced weapon systems to Taiwan, there's always the concern that it could, uh, some of those secrets could be stolen by China. Is is that a significant consideration at this point? It's a red herring as far as I'm concerned. Um, This would be true of any security security assistance relationship we have with friends and allies in Asia, if not around the world. And certainly there are cases of Chinese espionage uh, attempts directed at Japanese programs, uh, at Southeast Asian countries, and so forth. Taiwan, because of the persistent and long-term threat that China has posed, has actually done a lot more on counter-espionage and on safety measures Uh, so that we should have a high degree of confidence that these systems uh, enjoy protections. It's it's not perfect, so there's there's, uh, still some risk. Um, But again, I think that's an overstatement of of what the actual risks are. So now let's get a little bit more into what it is exactly that uh, Taiwan is hoping to purchase. Uh, We hear a lot in the headlines, especially recently, about the fighter jets, uh, and some of the capabilities that those have, including uh, stealth abilities and the ability to take off on a short runway. Uh, are those the most important purchases that Taiwan is looking at, th- at at this point, or are there other things as well? Well, there are other things, and, and sometimes it's difficult to you know, identify the top priority versus another system. I would say certainly uh, Taiwan needs fighter jets. Uh, We're getting to the point where we will have to start asking the question, does Taiwan need an Air Force at all? Because the existing fleet is aging and and getting more difficult to maintain. There is a program to upgrade existing F-16s. That's, I think, a valuable program, uh, but they need replacements for older platforms such as F-5s, ultimately the Mirages. And uh, given the evolving threat from China, uh, certainly a, a short takeoff or what's called a V-stall, a vertical uh, takeoff type ability, would would contribute greatly to to Taiwan's capabilities. Uh, So I think fighter jets should be on the list, should be high on the list, but I would also include systems such as submarines, given the 
uh, changing nature of the Chinese threat with their own submarine fleet, their own surface fleet, and so forth. You mentioned uh, briefly just a moment ago the uh, the ability to take off vertically, and that's that's one of the capabilities that Taiwanese defense officials um, mention quite a bit. Why is that something that they're looking for that it doesn't have currently? Because China has over uh, a thousand ballistic missiles. If you had cruise missiles, uh, probably. Uh, a couple thousand ballistic and cruise missiles capable of targeting Taiwan's airfields. And uh, therefore, you don't really need to take out all the aircraft. You don't need to engage in air-to-air combat. If you're China, you just need to disable the uh, airports and, and military facilities that traditional fighter aircraft can use for takeoff. So if you have a vertical takeoff capability, you can shelter those aircraft, protect them from ballistic cruise missile attack, and then get airborne and into the fight uh, with virtually no uh, runway uh, needed and simple parking lot would do. Um, So it's given the threat from China ballistic and cruise missiles and the ability to target Taiwan's military airfields, it becomes essential to have this vertical takeoff capability. And my understanding that in 2011, uh, the Obama administration did approve uh, retrofitting some of these fighter jets and uh, making uh, modifications to fighter jets that Taiwan already has. Uh, And some defense officials say that that will be sufficient for Taiwan's defense for the next 20 years. What's your take on all that? I think it's a good program. I think it'll give Taiwan a more capable platform, certainly the um, existing F-16 AB uh, platform is in need of of retrofit and upgrade, Uh, but overall I would say it's insufficient to meet the growing threat from China, and in the short term actually worsens the problem because you have to take F-16 ABs out of the fleet to perform this retrofit. So Taiwan is going to be faced with the challenge of either maintaining and sustaining very old platforms uh, to to meet this gap while the F-16 ABs are, are taken out for retrofit. Ultimately, uh, Taiwan needs to replace the aging fighters and, and needs a more robust capability. So it sounds like you're saying the, the, the main deficiencies right now is there's uh, specific capabilities that the current fighters are missing, but it's also a, a numbers issue. There's just not enough, fi- uh, enough fighters on Taiwan's side. It's both. It's quantity and quality in this case, in my opinion. Uh, all right, and uh, l- let's get back to the, you, you, you were mentioning submarines uh, a moment ago. Can you go into a little bit more detail why that would be uh, important for Taiwan to have access to, to that kind of equipment in, uh, in, in a conflict with China? Well, it's a combination of things. China has its own submarine fleet, which is, which is growing and growing more capable, given the purchases they've made from Russia as well as their own indigenous program. And um, speaking from the perspective of a naval officer, somebody who had a career in anti-submarine warfare, um, the conventional wisdom, I think, remains true that the best anti-submarine warfare platform is another submarine. So Taiwan needs some ability to counter uh, the PLA Navy submarine fleet. But in addition to that, it provides an anti-surface capability. So if Taiwan were to ever face a blockade, submarines would be the most effective platform. They're stealth. Uh, platforms and and would give Taiwan a a much higher degree of confidence they could counter a blockade. They can be used for uh, maritime reconnaissance to deal with not only PLA submarines but surface ships so they can relay data back um, to Taiwan to have a, a more accurate maritime picture. 
and at the end of the day this would be a capability that could be integrated into a broader system of, of defense that would involve the United States and other allies with anti-submarine warfare capability uh, because this is data that we would very eagerly want uh, in our defense community and, and we would work I'm sure with Taiwan uh, to address the PLA threat with the data they're collecting through their own submarines. So with this logjam of defense deals, how do you think that this all affects uh, cross-strait relations? As uh, many have noted, Taiwan and China in a lot of diplomatic avenues are getting closer. Uh, but do you think that the, the defense issue in itself actually uh, kind of affects the trajectory that, that, that those talks are going in? Well, potentially. Uh, I, I think post-Sunflower movement, we've seen a bit of a stall. I don't think after 22 agreements we're going to see a flurry of new agreements between the two sides. Uh, uncertainty about the approaching election in, in Taiwan has probably also caused a bit of a slowdown in, in the momentum between the two sides. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, very few people understand or, or take the time to study the impact that U.S. arms sales to Taiwan have on cross-strait relations. And in fact, the data might be counterintuitive to a lot of people. My institute, along with the U.S. Taiwan Business Council, did a very exhaustive study of every U.S. arms sale uh, to Taiwan that, that resulted in a congressional notification from the passage of the TRA in 1979 to the present. And what we found is in the aftermath of a U.S. arms sale to Taiwan, there was actually an improvement in the cross-strait relationship in a measurable way. And you could cite the examples of the 1992 150F-16 sale to Taiwan, which was followed shortly thereafter by uh, the first cross-strait dialogue, the 92 dialogue, and resulted in what some call the 92 consensus. You could even cite the Obama administration, uh, February 2010, the uh, $6.4 billion arms sales program that was then followed uh, shortly thereafter by ECFA. So people sometimes express concern that U.S. arms sales to Taiwan could disrupt cross-strait relations, but the historic data suggests that just the opposite is true, and I think we should be data-driven on this, and we should continue to support Taiwan in an effort to actually support cross-strait relations, not disrupt them. And what is your sense of why that might be? Do you think it's it's sort of the classic issue of negotiating from a place of strength? Do you think that that's why it, it, it might improve relations? I think it's a combination of negotiating from a position of strength or just having greater confidence, because the arms sales themselves um, provide a certain capability to Taiwan, but it's also an expression of U.S. support to Taiwan which impacts, I think, Taipei's thinking in negotiation and impacts China's thinking. Um, so it's, it's negotiating from strength, but it's also a statement of where the U.S.-Taiwan relationship is, the health of that relationship, and what that means for China. If these kind of deals uh, continue to fail to make any progress, uh, how do you think that that's going to affect the dynamic between Taiwan and China going uh, forward? Is that going to encourage an arms buildup on one side or the other? Or what, what do you expect? Well, there is an arms buildup on one side. Um, despite all the efforts since Mindjo came to power uh, to improve cross-strait ties, all the achievements that they've made and that I support, the buildup has continued apace. It hasn't slowed. It hasn't been reversed. It's continued. So there is an arms race of sorts, but only one side is participating. Uh, the question is, can we, from the United States perspective, assist Taiwan in maintaining a, a credible defense, a deterrent capability, so that, uh, so that Taiwan can continue 
its negotiations with China on whatever issues Taipei chooses to engage on, uh, wh whether that's ultimately on political issues, uh, we can't know for sure, but whatever issues they want to address, they will do so more effectively uh, with the support of the United States and a robust arms program behind them. Um, I, I can only um, guess that if the military balance continues to fall uh, more out of balance and more in the favor of China, at some point uh, China will be tempted in the direction of, of more coercive actions and more coercive diplomacy than compared to what we've seen the last few years. Uh, what do you think that that might look like? Do, do, do you think that that might actually get to the point of uh, m military altercations? Well, it's possible. We're getting a flavor of this in the East China Sea and the South China Sea, um, occupying islands and and uh, more aggressive uh, military tactics uh, in areas where there are disputes. Uh, I think if China doesn't sense that Taiwan has the will to maintain a credible deterrent, and they don't see their political objectives getting any closer, which after all, at the end of the day, China's objective is crystal clear. They want what they call reunification or unification. Then at some point they may resort to more coercive tactics, which I think would make, at a minimum, would make things much more dangerous in the Taiwan Strait. Going back again to the the dynamic between Taiwan and the U.S., uh, do you think that this is, is going to continue, this inability to get these deals through, or, or, or what is the trend that you expect going forward? I don't have a sense that there's uh, any urgency in the Obama administration to address this problem. I, I could be wrong. I'm, of course, not serving in the administration. I do think uh, a real test case will be the submarine program because it appears that Taiwan is getting more serious about an indigenous program, which would then still require the assistance of some outside parties, and, and that would probably include the United States. So at some point, U.S. defense industry or, or consultants and contractors will start to submit licenses to the U.S. government for permission to participate in Taiwan's indigenous program. That will trigger a decision from the United States government, the Obama administration, one way or the other. So hopefully, uh, having served in the Bush administration that made the decision to approve diesel-electric submarines for Taiwan in 2001, hopefully the Obama administration will stand by that commitment. We've been speaking to Randall Shriver. He's the president and chief executive officer of the Project 2049 Institute. Randall Shriver, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Taiwan Talk. As always, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's program. You can leave us a comment on our Facebook page or rate and review Taiwan Talk on iTunes. You can also leave a comment on the ICRT blog where we've posted a few links to articles about today's topic. That's it for today for ICRT. I'm Keith Metconi.